You are listening to Nerd Best Friends, a podcast that covers the nerdy conversations you're already having, or wish you could. It's the nerdiest thing you'll do this week. Welcome back to another episode of Nerd Best Friends. I am Annalise, and I'm here with my best friend, Rob. Hey, it's me, Rob, your best friend, your super nerd, and your podcast host. Nerd Best Friends can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and follow us now. If you'd like to support our podcast, subscribe to Nerd Best Friends on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Or if you'd like to give a one-time donation, find us at Nerd Best Friends on Venmo. This is episode 42, and the time has finally come to nerd out about something that unites nearly everyone that has been on this podcast, Hmm. marching band. And Rob, that's no joke. I think everyone but Dustin, we know because of marching band. Every guest. We had guests for the Firefly show as well. Sean and Juliana, those are not marching oh. band people. However, both of their children are in marching band. There is still a connection so there's, there. There's still yes. no, no more than one degree of separation. Exactly. So marching band something very special. It is also something deemed very nerdy. And on today's episode, we're bringing on a special guest about marching band that actually holds extra significance for me. You and I, Rob, we worked together. My is really my second job, but my first job as a lead band director. I was an assistant director for one year prior to being hired at Rio Mesa in 2000 or 2001. You and I eventually worked together at that school. We did a lot of really great things. Somewhere along the line, you re acquainted with a former student who's our guest on the show today. So it's actually really cool. Talk about the big circular movement of marching band. I would like to welcome Adam Coons to the show. Hi, I feel like I've been finally inducted into the Cool Kids Club. (laughs) I don't know about that, but... (laughs) Ironic on a podcast called Nerd Best Friends, but I still feel that way. (laughs) Which is very funny because Adam is indeed one of my very best friends. We joke that we are absolutely life partners in this for the rest of our lives. We are ride or die, uh, never never to be separated. Welcome (laughs) to the show, Adam. It's not a joke. It's 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 very very factual. Oh, no, I I 100% believe it. The bromance is strong. And well, I will also say, Adam, I don't socially, I can't think of another former student that I socially hang out, do things, have a beer, go to dinner. Like what people usually say about me and Rob is that we are the male, female versions of the same person. Right. It would also make sense that in that social circle, I also consider myself a friend. Yeah, definitely. With that being said, let's go with what I like about it. Oh, man, this week I wanted to make sure that we introduced Adam because he's going to chime in here. The What I Like About It segment this week is going to be about 3D printing. Now, I have been 3D printing for almost 10 years now from getting my very first 3D printer that was not good and we didn't really know what we were doing, but look at us now. The things that I like about 3D printer are mostly because they support my hobbies and they support my nerdy things that I'm doing. (laughs) We're going to get back to that in the nerdiest thing that I am doing this week, but 
it has been an absolute game changer for the tabletop RPG world and the tabletop like board game community. One of the greatest joys I have in running Dungeons and Dragons games is the prep that I can do with scouring the internet for files of like crazy looking things, whether it be castle towers or little cottages to treehouse forts to modular put together with magnet snap tight dungeon tiles and things like that. Adam and I have been just going nuts over the past five, six years when it comes to 3D printing. To dive into that, we have a Google Drive that we share 3D printing files and it's organized by genre piece of scenery or whatever it is does it is it a boat we got a folder for that is it an airship we have a big folder for airships i don't know if you remember this rob the first 3d printer you had we were like this is gonna be great and we're gonna just print these things we're gonna he printed one half (laughs) of one dungeon tile that separated from the bed so it wasn't even flat and that was the only thing we ever got from that 3d printer (laughs) in 2013 or 14 or something like that like one two square big dungeon tile and now it's like we're it's like an assembly line between the two of us i've got two 3d printers here one for minis one for anything bigger than that rob is probably single-handedly keeping e-sun in business (laughs) buying those filaments we like share our fill we share our like extruder temperature settings and stuff it's uh it's it's a pretty big operation there's somewhere there's money making in this i don't know what it is right now it's just money giving because we keep (laughs) spending money on it but there's got to be some way to to monetize this well how cool of of a money giving difference it is versus people who cornered the market for minis and scenery and 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 now you get to be creative and while you may not necessarily be writing the files which i would imagine could be the next thing the both of you look into actually writing files for a 3d printer but so many people are already doing it why would you why would you the fact that you are now printing what you're interested in instead of having to buy oh look this set has three things i want to use so i gotta i gotta buy this set and i'm probably never going to touch 70 percent of what's in that box there's a reason that all through high school and college the terrain on my army game table was like pieces of styrofoam from packaging inserts and boxes Mm. you know milk cartons painted with spray paint to represent buildings yeah because that stuff was prohibitively expensive to get like giant resin casts of ruined buildings and and giant mansions and stuff that you would put your put on your gaming table for terrain and like immersion and as soon as as like adam said as soon as we got that half a rounded off dungeon tile it was was so lame we knew (laughs) we still have it it's still here at my house i think or your house and we still have it in the box a gleam in our eyes and we knew like you know seven 3d printers later now we're just a dungeon tile factory (laughs) fun fact about the dungeon tiles before the 3d printing it's an embarrassing amount of money i've spent on like shout out dwarven forge for making excellent dungeons and dragons train i've spent easily over six grand wow throughout the years comfortably it's probably more than that but i just throw those receipts away like and you don't actually want to know the number i bought big pelican cases to like carry it around in, and we'd set like it looked like we were going hunting every time we played D &D, (laughs) because i would come up with like four pelican cases and it would take like 40 minutes to set it all up then we started 3d printing like rob really started the 3d printing that i only recently got on board with that like i was like oh i spent all this money so now i just i 3d print stuff to supplement it but like rob would show up with he comes into my house with the whole dungeon like done. Yeah. In boxes. Yeah. Pulls out remember, one room at a time. I remember coming to visit when I was still living in Ohio and I went with Rob 
to to your place for your your Monday night game and helping him load and unload that car. It was, it's pretty it's pretty cool. Uh, I, I want to say something real quick. I was at a I was at a conference this past week and I was presenting at this conference and I end my presentation with a shameless plug of nerd best friends. Like I'm a self-described nerd. Here's a little podcast that I do. Feel free to subscribe if you like nerdy things. The next day I had someone come up to me like, oh, you know, me and my partner were listening to the podcast and blah, blah, blah. Oh my gosh, my partner also learned to play D&D during the pandemic. And da, 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 da. and then they had seen the pictures of our, our finale in Vegas and they were just going off. Like, how did you get the buildings and all the da, da, da. And because, you know, we put up pictures online and I'm like, oh, my best friend does it. And I was swiping through pictures and showing them they were losing their minds at the fact that you printed these buildings and painted them and like just a lot of a lot of props to you for that whole setup made well, possible so, by 3d printing it's so easy now there's so many companies that just make everything like people are looking like what what would i need like what is something that i could that i could print that doesn't exist yet and then they knock it out of the park i mean and that's the fun of it is whatever adventure we come up with I'll, I'll go scour and find the thing. You need a Western town. You got it. You need a crypt dungeon full of bones and like blood dripping off the wall. There's files for that. You need an airship battle. Yeah. It, here's, here's a guy who's got a folder full of six different airships that here's we can five. Make and set up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's so much out there in that community and it's so fun. And, and so many of them will give it for free, right? You'll find some pretty good stuff out there for like creative commons on Thingiverse or like some of the most high quality stuff. If we're looking at like printable scenery is one of my favorites. You can get like a giant set of everything you'd need for like 35 bucks. I mean, it's yeah. nothing. What a time to be alive, truly. For the... <laughs> I don't mind paying e- either. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to go buy one because I did that yeah. once. I was like, I need a ship. I, I paid like $60 for some podunk little like, I don't know what it was made out of. And it right. like broke like the next week. Wow. And then uh, that game we play quarterly. So it's not like I needed it the next week, but like now it's like, Oh, I have the ship. Let me print it in three colors so we can have one for X and one for Y and one for Z. It's what a time to be alive. It's never been and better. It's never been pennies better. on a dollar on the dollar versus buying the one you bought. A mini cost me one percent of a penny to print or something <laughs> like that. It's like four cents to print a mini. Yeah. On the, uh, on I think the new version of the Prusa slicer it'll tell you how much plastic it's using the weight of that plastic if you put in like what brand you know you can even put what brand you're using and it'll tell you exactly how much that model costs you to make when you're printing wow. some like oh look at this awesome dice tower it's gonna cost you a dollar and two cents worth of plastic wow. it's sweet it's it's yeah and the cool thing is like i have i had a lot of weird hobbies during covid i was like really into lock picking i was mm-hmm. big into lock picking which is something i'd done before but i picked it back up during coven i was buying all these picks and some of the picks i like didn't have handles they they're like mm. just metal and it's very uncomfortable so i started printing lock pick handles <laughs> and and they are so comfy to use like i was showing i was sending him pictures because we weren't playing D or anything in person so i was sending around i was like look at these look at these handles <laughs> look at my lock pick handles how about the practical i mean we talked you talked yeah. about minis and dungeon tiles and buildings and 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 i've also heard rob talk about making drawer organizers i was just gonna say like you can't open a drawer in my house without seeing like little compartmentalized like boxes and everything so that everything stays where it's supposed to be even like the drunk drawer that everybody has it's like nope here's a box for all the little rubber bands and here's Mm -hmm. a box for all the chip clips and here's a box for all the like can koozies and all that kind of stuff everything's all compartmentalized and then we can go even we can 
an Inception Go Deeper, I 3D printed modifications for my 3D printer, which I oh, then yeah. used to print better modifications. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. A better fan shroud, an upgraded... Dual fan know. shroud. I got dual fan shroud now. Wow, I got two look at going. That. Well, and then also, Rob, you've made gifts. You've made dice towers, and you've also made like mini painting organizers. Yeah. I think you said you made you've made some of that where it's actually printed to fit the specific size bottles of Citadel paints and the army painter paints and a spot for brushes and that's all 3D printed as well. Absolutely. That is one of my favorite things to do is if I can find a good excuse to like make a homemade gift, right? Like what yeah. could be nicer in your adult life? Like everybody, like we're all adult nerds. Like if we see something cool we want, we usually just go get it, right? But yeah, it's a it's a gift to like be like, hey, I thought of you, I found this, I printed it. I painted it like, yeah, I enjoy doing that as well. I'm also a big fan of seeing what other people come up with in terms of tabletop gameplay pieces. Here's something to hold these cards, to hold these chits for this games. And and some people go as far as making them thematic. Like here's for the dark tower. Here's one with a a skull that'll hold your little mini skulls. And here's (laughs) this card holder that will hold up the villains you're playing against. And just people get really creative. I think that's also really, really cool. One of the favorite things I've seen was actually for your monk, you had the key point counter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rob, I love that. I was super into that. And another one that maybe the thing that's gotten used more than any anything else we have this big like spell template thing it's uh, we must have had it for eight or nine years forever that was one of the first things we made when as soon as we got like a reliable printer like our cr 10 or whatever was like make a few of those (laughs) nice rob has given more money to creality than perhaps (laughs) any investor ever could (laughs) well rob was was the the key point dial that you made there was actually numerous faces on it adam i don't know Mm -hmm. if you know that but there was the dial that had a magnet in it it was so it wasn't the face it was the actual counter so there was one that went up to six and then the next one went up to like 12 and the next one went up i think the the highest it would go is like 18 so i had to do 18 and then like put two marks next to remember when we got to like level 19 and 20 so it was a magnet thing was that the first Rob, was that the first magnet kind of thing you did with your minis? Was gluing that magnet in? Yes and no. That was one of that was probably the first where it was like engineered to be a magnet that worked on a dial with moving parts, I think, for sure. We would do things with magnets for miniatures for years and years. Like back in my back in my Warhammer days of college, the best thing in the world would be to have like a cake pan or like a baking sheet. And you put little magnets on all your miniatures so you can flunk them down and like transport them that way without them going all over the place and cracking into each other in the car and stuff like that. 3D printing wise. Yeah. That, I think that might have been. And now like we've got the hero quest board. Your hero quest board. Yeah. Huge magnetic modular thing. It's yeah. magnets and, and D and D minis, uh, affectionately in our gaming group were referred to a long time as the dream. So mm-hmm. like magnets and 3D printing and Dungeons and Dragons, they just like, they go so well together. <laughs> now we have a never ending supply of the dream. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah, yes, we do. I have baggies and baggies and baggies of, mi- of little magnets that fit perfectly up in the little lip of the miniature base. Anything else about 3D printing? No, I forgot. We are not here to talk about 3D printing. We have another topic <laughs> to discuss. Although welcome to our 3D printing broadcast. <laughs> and that's what you like about it. Oh, and that's what I like about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like to give a shout out to our our new Patreon subscribers, Maria, Josh, and Sarah. Thank you for subscribing. Keep those subscriptions coming, nerds. So how about some nerd mail? Nerd mail. 
In our episode, Nerd Watching the Ots, we were talking about Glee, and in particular, the only thing you had you knew about Glee was the song Baby Got Back and the, some controversy that surrounded it. And while you were talking, I didn't question it, but I'm thinking in my head, there's something not right about this. You had talked about Sir Mix-a-Lot and this Johnny... Jonathan Colton. Jonathan Colton. Jonathan Colton wrote Baby Got Back, and I'm thinking, no, Sir Mix-a-Lot. No, 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 no. So, yeah. (laughs) So I got super confused, and I think think the way it came off on the podcast, we had someone write in and say, like, wait, that Jonathan dude did not write Baby Got Back. J-Lo and Sir Mix-a-Lot did, blah, 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 and then sent me a link to this article that there was a banjo-infused cover written by... Jonathan Colton that Glee used right the That's banjo cover yeah so it's an I, acoustic I, cover an that acoustic Jonathan Colton cover. did yes and they did and so Glee performed that the right. acoustic cover note for note they even there's a part where Jonathan Colton had changed the word instead of mix a lots in trouble he says Johnny C's in trouble or something right and the character in Glee sang that line just the same used as it was that line instead <laughs> like of it was right, they, right 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 they could have just been lip syncing to the Jonathan Colton version is what we were so talking we, about. We did get some some nerd mail because there was confusion about that. So wanted wanted to just bring that up and hey, thanks for listening and writing in and keep that going. Podcast at nerdbestfriends.com or find us on our social medias at nerdbestfriends. And now on to the topic. It's the big one. We've been talking about this this content since season one. It's been on our list every season so far. And we are now here. We're talking about marching band. Oh boy, fan nerds. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> That's appropriate. I just, we just, the school I work at, we just had our home competition yet, literally yesterday. Oh, and did you? An 104 degree Simi Valley heat, baby. Gotta love Oof. it. <laughs> like, How'd it go? Oh, it went pretty good. It, all things considered, it was a good day. Adam didn't have to take anyone to the medical tent and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I got to stay in air conditioning and hospitality most of the day. <laughs> That's the way to be. We, oh, I guess we performed well or whatever. I mean, there's a competition that happens in the middle of that, too. The, there, you before know that- we go on, because you mentioned it, that is something that I know it's not on our list of topics to discuss, but it should be noted that if you are not a marching band person and you're listening to this one, at every marching band competition, they have what's called hospitality, where they will set up, uh, it's usually the parents or the band boosters of the host school where the competition is taking place will set up a room or an outside tent or some sort of venue where it is potluck or it's catered or whatever for the different marching band staffs that come to visit. So when your, you know, your band kids are out getting concessions or sitting in the stands or whatever, the staffs can go to usually a shaded or air conditioned place that's just full of good food and things to drink and stuff like this. And there, that is a for real decision maker. When you're making your marching band schedule, who's got the best happen? <laughs> hospitality and which competitions are we going to visit it's better food than concession food and it's kid free and quiet that's what I always appreciated about the hospitality areas for directors and staff it's how we get people to come back Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. That's why people keep going should, to yeah. the Oxnard show because of their well-known hospitality tent. Yeah. Um, is it slipping? Is it slipping? Uh, the times they are a change in. Oh, uh, yeah. I guess blast, it has been a long time. since I've been to that uh, Yeah, that's at, like literally at the beginning of the year. We're like, oh, we can't do this comp that we want to do because of X, Y, Z. OK, out of Bakersfield, Savannah or Cleveland, who's got barbecue? And then we'll like, <laughs> and we'll, like look at last year's hospitality. And we'll say, OK. 
today we're going to Cleveland and Savannah. <laughs> well, I know it's it's a lot different this year, not only because of that, but because of the way the the championships and average scoring goes. A lot of people end up doing double days and double performances in one day mm, to to pad right. up their scores for championship they qualifications. Changed that rule this year. Fun, oh, did they? Fun fact: If okay. you do two comps in one day, only one score can count towards your uh, championships two scores. Okay. So you can't go throw, which, uh, like, I'll be honest, like, hurts the school I work at because that's what we used to do. We would, like, we would hedge <laughs> our bets. We'd be like, we're going to Oxnard and Moore Park, and one of these needs to be a big number, which it should be. Like, realistically, it's the last day of competitions. And then we get two big ones, and we'd be like, we'd go in, like, rank third when really we're like an eighth, seventh to ninth place where yeah. we should be, but we go in rank, like, second. Or third oh. or something like that from those two averages. So they changed that rule this year. That's interesting. There, I mean, I'm people are still going to find a way to gamify it. I'm sure. Let's talk about each of our histories with marching band. I'll start with mine. I don't know if junior high really counts, but I started, I added junior high because we definitely had like people from the high school come to the junior high and teach us how to march. And we were outside on the blacktop and it was really only to prepare us to do like the city of Santa Barbara's holiday Christmas parade and maybe one other. So, I mean, I have pictures of me in junior high in a old school, thick wool marching band uniform i remember liking it i remember you know being outside and and the physicality of moving and playing my instrument that's what i remember about it so two years of junior high marched all four years in high school of course uh became drum major the last two years had some pretty amazing times with that that also really led my my desire to become a music educator i i don't know i don't remember if i've told that story on the podcast but the the moment i stood on the podium to my sophomore year of high school to audition to be drum major was the moment I realized I wanted to be a music educator. It was just kind of like a like a click in my head of, oh my gosh, this feels like the right thing to do. Just something about picking I we I think we even conducted with batons for that audition, which made no sense for marching man, but I just I vividly remember just stepping on that wood podium and just this this is what I want to do. So four years of high school I did go to USC just to march in the Trojan marching band. So I got to do that for four years. I spent 15 years as an educate a music educator at the high school level different schools different realms one school i was band and choir I was the only music teacher one school i was just the choir then both and then just the band at one school i was an assistant director when i went to get my doctorate i spent four years on the university staff i was staff member at the university of toledo and got to experience teaching the college level and what that was like and the uh, athletic bands which are a different beast mm. at the college level than they are in at the secondary level and then I became a school administrator so my marching band story now is just going to shows and watching and in the case of my new school it has a small program I think a lot of programs are still rebuilding from the pandemic from having time away from kids holding instruments in their hands that director's really cool and she's like come by anytime and so I went to some of their band camp and just had some fun with them and now I just get to support it on a different level I also counted junior high marching band on my list because I think junior high marching band is one of those like 
make or break type deals. Like if you signed up for music at junior high because you needed an elective and then they put you in this ugly wool suit out in the uh out in the sun and make you walk down the street just like honking and playing and people yelling at you <laughs> about what foot you're supposed to be on. Like that's a that, if you can make it through that and you still want to do it in high school, they've got you. That's a good point. So I did that for two years. I did all four years in high school. I followed in high school one one year behind you, Annalise, and I mm-hmm. uh, I took over as drum major when you graduated. Mm-hmm. And then I think I did like 10 or 11 years of coaching after that. As soon as um, I graduated high school while I was in college, the our old high school program called us up and said, hey, you know, we need some marching coaches. We want to check this out. Sure. I need a little part-time gig. <laughs> you know, I'm 18 and you're throwing some money at me for something that I think is fun. Sure. I'll be there on Thursday (laughs) nights, whatever. Met some folks doing that, that were also working who did this as a big part of their living, right? This kind of, this kind of side hustle or or this gig economy (laughs) that exists for marching band instructors, music instructors, music arrangers, marching band show, like drill writers. There's a community of folks out there. And in order to make ends meet in that way, you've got to work for a lot of different schools and um, kind of, kind of get your foot in the door in a lot of different places. And so hooking up with some of those folks, I ended up working all up and down the central coast from Santa Barbara to Oxnard to Moore Park to Thousand Oaks. I even made some connections in a marching band in Arizona where mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I would go out for that band camp. And then um, Oxnard with you, Vegas for your marching band and yeah, all yeah. kinds of stuff like that. So there was a good chunk of time, like basically my college career <laughs> was a full-time college student and probably more than full-time run around, be a marching coach guy all up and down the the central coast and then uh took a break for a while uh got married you know after we got married and and had a kid and i hadn't been in it for a few years and then i think it was adam got me back into it after a few years later he reeled me back in because he was uh he was working at a place with a friend another friend of ours danny they said oh you know we're back at real mesa they got a a new marching band director there and uh we need a drill rider would you consider doing this i'm like oh for you guys you got it let's let's do this and i remember like writing drill in the summer all spread out on my kitchen table with drill sheets and Andrew being like a newborn in his car seat on the table, like rocking his little car seat with one <laughs> hand and writing drill with the other hand for that show. I'll just tell a quick story and then turn it back over to Adam. But that was where, because our friend Danny had got us in there and Adam was working there like, oh, I remember Adam, it's been, you know, 10 years since I saw you or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And then we dropped something, D&D reference. And I was like, you play Dungeons and Dragons? I'm like, oh yeah, Uh-oh. dude, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons. And that's where we started like, oh, we got to start a game. We're going to do this. And I think like two days later, Adam got fired from that gig. Yep. So now. <laughs> cool. I just, I'd repress that memory pretty hard. I was stuck. It was the next this... day. It was the next day. <laughs> it was the literal next day. I was there for two days that year. You came oh on Tuesday God. of band camp. I got fired yeah. Wednesday. So I made a great connection with a former student that I was like, oh my God, we're going to play. It was D&D. worth it. This worth is the price the, of admission. This is going to be the best gig ever. And then, he got, and then he left and I was stuck there by myself. Man, can you, can you imagine what would have happened if you didn't have that conversation and Adam just got fired the next day? Can you imagine? Our, I can't. Our lives would be so different. Right? <laughs> Crazy. Just, but think of how funny it would be to have the, I reconnected with the student for five minutes and then he got fired story. It would, <laughs> I mean, yes, we would have totally made fun of you and had, had some laughs yeah, over that. Yeah, exactly. It what a difference. What a difference. Happy. Johnny McFired face over here. <laughs> 
I'm sorry that marching band's hard. My bad. <laughs> I maintain cry, that's why I was cry baby fired. drum instructor. Oh, I, I was cry, the cry, cry baby, baby drum guy. Uh, is it my turn? It's your turn. Yeah, yeah tell us about your marching band. I feel bad that I didn't include junior high, but it's like one day of junior high, like. <laughs> the Camp Camarillo and Rio Mesa High School would trade off which one came to the middle school band programs. Mm-hmm. And all we did was the Christmas parade. Like, so it was like one day, hey, you're going to play Jingle Bell Rock. We're going to walk down the field. Hopefully no one dies. Uh, drummers figure it out, grab something. Like, I think I had like tambourine or something. I don't think nice. I, wasn't, I wasn't big enough to carry any of the drums. Like <laughs> they had this little tri tom that I remember my friend TJ carried because he was big. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think someone had like a snare on a, like a drum set snare on a sling. And I got to play something dumb like tambourine. Virgin Bell Rock. You know, you know, Adam, I, I tell this story lovingly. I, Rob, I don't know if, if you remember, but I very distinctly remember Adam as an eighth grader, incoming ninth grader, coming into the room for drumline auditions for the fall. And we had to have him stand on the podium on at the lowest level for the standing snare drum for him to be able to reach to do his audition. Do you remember that? I 100%. Re- I remember that. It is very vivid in my, in my mind. Yo, <laughs> you were I'm- definitely there. That was the year we did the, we printed out the pictures to set up the drum line. Remember we, we got that little Polaroid wow. printer for two or three seasons. I do remember after- that. Yeah, we would like, we want this many snares. Here's the snares. Here's the quints. Here's the bases. Here's the symbols. Like, and we would move the pictures around during our conversation with Paul. And like that, 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 that was that year. And, and for Adam, he had, like, I just, it was, I mean, again, I don't mean this in a way to make fun of you. Oh, Adam no. is just, it's I one of the vivid, person. vivid memories I have of you. I remember that because I remember feeling like I threw down at that audition. Like I was, <laughs> oh, you so- did great. I was yes. so prepared, like more prepared. Well, I, I always prepared for auditions. So I remember feeling super prepared. And I remember Ahmed and Paul being like dead faced. Like, yeah. can you play paradiddles? Play some paradiddles. Can you play roles? Play some roles. Can you, I don't remember. And it was like, okay. And then I think Ahmed wasn't there until the following year, maybe. Cause I remember Ahmed did something like that too. He wouldn't have been on in the, on, in no, on the auditions. Audition. Yeah. That wasn't until but later. It, I mean, it was a discussion, right? We had your picture in our hand. Like this kid obviously needs to play snare. How are we going to have a snare that's going to fit him? Like that was, we were thinking of who can we call? Maybe one of the junior highs has a smaller kit. Like that. I remember that. Like it's just a distinct, distinct we memory. The harness, right? You guys hacksawed the harness. That's right. We got an older harness from a junior high and sawed it off. Yep. Yeah, sawed it's off still at Rio Mesa. It's still there. Yeah. Is it? Nice. <laughs> it's still there because when I, okay, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Ahead, when I taught ahead. there, I had a small tenor player that I had used that harness. Oh, was, how funny. Yeah, so I I did four years of high school marching band. I I got to play snare all four years, which I loved. I did three years of winter line. I'll count that separately because mm-hmm. that's kind of like a more drum centric thing. Yes, 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 uh, yes. I don't know if it counts, but DCI I marched and wore a drum. I did that for two years because uh, I didn't have a college marching band. I went to Cal State Northridge, which no longer has a marching band, which uh, is the crazy. bummer because they used to be they like used to yeah. Slam. the crop. Yeah, yeah when I was slam. a kid. We would look forward to the comp where Northridge would come and yes. play because they were yes. hot. Yeah. Shout out Gary Pratt and Lance Delgado, who was the drumline oh, guy there when they were. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Lance Delgado. Yeah, Lance Delgado. I've taught about seven to eight, I guess 7.025 years. (laughs) 7.0001. It's like 8.0025 years of marching band at a couple (laughs) different schools in Ventura County. Designed, helped design shows. I didn't write drill, but I did help. I've helped write music and I I try to negotiate. So I'm designing the percussion part Mm -hmm. of the show, like writing all the drumline music i've taught dci for a bunch of years that was super super fun i love that that's a totally different thing but it's still definitely all the familiar sights and sounds of marching bands and that and then i also with danny pena and and with other people i've taught uh, open and world-class um wgi groups Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very cool that's super fun like winter drumline has a special place in my heart no it's i always, agree i love yeah. winter drumline i think winter drumline is it can be more fun than marching band. It's a smaller group, but yeah. you kind of, yeah, but I mean, you rehearse and work equally, like equal amount of hours for that thing. So you get a really tight group, you know, with a winter drumline. There's no grade well, attached to it. So the only way you show up is if you care. Yeah. In my opinion, yeah. like one in theory, right? The only reason yeah. you should be there is if you want to do it. It's a, I, it's marching band adjacent. A competition format that was born out of marching band, which is born out of military, which is born out of wartime. Like, you know, you can trace back the origins of of marching band in that way. What I really liked about, you know, indoor drumline competitions is just the the structure of the environment being indoors, being able to be much more creative with the show design, more props, more levels, more, more, more. And that, I think, actually then informed marching band, where you see now a lot of those upper level and big props and big structures in on the field in marching band competitions i think they informed each other throughout the years yeah and also i mean another thing that i think is i know this isn't the winter drumline podcast but judges being closer to the actual thing that's happening it makes a difference like all of a sudden your face is not hidden behind a shako Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah typically so like you're like it's a full body performance art at that point it's not just you and your instrument you gotta like have the facial expressions the body especially now you have to have like you gotta be able to move your body like well yeah it's like a full thematic performance yes yeah Yeah. some group in like i think it was like avon high school one of these huge like world-class winning i think they call it percussive theater Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. That would make mm-hmm. sense. I mean, yeah. there's so much dance infused in there now where, where good lines will have dance instructors as part of their yeah. staff. Yeah. Shout out 10 years of Irish dance that did nothing for me in terms of <laughs> modern dance styles. Well, it did lots for you in terms of your footwork. Oh, you yeah. Nev- yeah. You never sure. struggled with drill. No matter what Rob threw at you, your feet were fine. Oh, and man. that was an advantage you had over your peers. Those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> Those were the days. And then <laughs> age happened. What do you like about it? We can start with you this time, Rob. What do you like about marching band? Uh, it's something that you just touched on, kind of that history of the, the militaristic background of marching band, right? Like the, the reason why we have marching bands is because we had bugle players and drummers that would march along with the soldiers and give instructional cues from the command mm-hmm. with loud instruments so that people could, so that soldiers could do what they needed to do coordinated in, in coordination. So that part of it goes throughout till modern day. There is a precise 
preciseness. There is, or a precision, I guess, is the the actual word. <laughs> there is the a look. precision <laughs> talk preciseness. Preciseness. There's a precision that goes into it that is absolutely crucial, not only to your score and the overall look of what you're trying to execute, but also to affect the music being played. People who, you know, when you're marching in sync with the beat, if you're doing the proper technique and you're marching smoothly, the music sounds better, right? It's all coordinated there. And so as an instructor and as a participant, there is a pride and a attention to detail that is important for a lot of different reasons. And then that is balanced with performing music, right? Being a musician, having a creative outlet, practicing and playing with your friends and um, getting those harmonies right, just right. And that timing just right and producing something that is entertainment and it is artistic with on the other side of that coin, like drilled into you precision and hard work and and marching technique. That's why I thought it was cool. (laughs) And how about you, Adam? One of the things I like, especially about marching band more than maybe any other, I think specifically high school, like extracurriculars, it brings people from like all different sorts of backgrounds. Like, yes, you have like the nerdy band kids, but there's jocks, there's the introverts, the extroverts, the theater kids, like everybody can be part of marching band if you have some musical background, like, you know what I mean? I also love the fact that everyone matters equally on the field so it's there are no like kobe bryant's in marching band there's no michael jordan's there's no wayne gretzky's doesn't matter if you have like a star alto sax player everyone else on alto sax still needs to know their music or it, it is not you know the effect is not does not happen right everyone's got to be respect there's like a level of personal responsibility in marching band that maybe less so in some other team activities and i i really like that like one of the things i like to say is is like that everyone matters on the field and the only rule is that you can't stay the same from one rehearsal to the next you have to get better yeah so like staying the same is not an option you can't sit on you're like i know all my music i'm the star trumpet player there's always something to get better at in marching band there's it's the pursuit of excellence is something i really that's something i got from marching band i mean i i took i've taken music lessons like my whole life but like i still to this day practice a minimum of 15 minutes a day like there's a practice Mm -hmm. pad literally sitting next to me with sticks on it right now because i know i'll sit in this chair for like a couple hours and that's something that you can take with you to anything in life the pursuit of excellence is just like a lot of people don't have that that idea that you can get good at something by putting in hard work and you can continue to get good at something that's all i trace all that stuff back through marching man those are transferable skills I could be good at 3D printing or I could be the best at 3D printing. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't have to be the best. That is, I think that speaks to what you're saying is everybody matters equally. As long as you're getting better and you have that pursuit of excellence in a marching band, you'll never stick out. If you're sticking out, you're doing it wrong. So the idea is that rising tide lifts all ships. The more excellent each individual is, the better the show is as a whole. No one should be sticking out. Yeah. And then as you, you know, become better, you get kids that become sexual leaders and then they're empowering others in their section to do the same thing it's 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 a feedback look, loop of positive uh reinforcement and positive behaviors yes. so that's that's what i really love about marching band like in the, particular. the good ones right the good ones will build that culture from upperclassmen to underclassmen to to build that excellence to make them feel welcome and make them understand their importance to the group and and lift them there's nobody doesn't matter 
so to speak. You can't hide. There's no hiding. Yeah, I had to. I I would trace that little sentence yeah. back to you. You can't hide. You can't hide someone. I mean, I guess you could throw them behind a prop or something. But well, that's everyone, definitely which, happened. Which we have oh, definitely yeah. done. Yeah, hey, no, uh, I, we're gonna make this awesome drum rack <laughs> for for you to play on. <laughs> And for you to push. Yes, for you to move. <laughs> Will I need my drum? No, you won't need that. No, nope, no, nope. no. You go nope. ahead and put you're that gonna, down. Look at all these things you're going to have hanging off of it. Yeah. Oh, man. So I guess, yeah, in theory, right? Like, to be part of the ensemble is to matter. But even we just kind of went on a little funny ha-ha bit. But the reality <laughs> is even those kids matter. Even yeah. the kids that get put on a drum rack still have to know their parts and perform it with excellence. Exactly. Everyone's at different levels. Like no yeah. one's expecting you to come in as a freshman and be as good as a senior, like right. who's done it for four years, but you have yeah. to get better. That's, that's the pursuit that you got to get better. At least you will get better. If your instructors are good and it's a good program, you will. Well, my, my reasons why, why I like marching band echo your, both of yours for many reasons. I tended to go through my adolescence pretty clueless. I, I wanted to be in band. So I showed up to band camp and I really liked it. I'm, I'm a big fan of sports. So it was physicality of sports, but also with my instrument. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I didn't know what we were doing. We have to put this uniform on. Okay. I'll, I got to buy these shoes. I'll buy these shoes. I just kind of went along. The impact for me was the Monday morning after our first. I don't know if it was a football game or competition and we're sitting in the band room. Mr. Garski rolls in the, the TV monitor and throws in a VHS of the show. And I went, Oh, this is a whole thing. Just my mind was blown. My little 14 year old brain was blown at the fact that this one little thing that I was doing and everyone else doing their own little one thing. And we were all doing it together, created this picture and story on the screen. I had no idea that that's what it was. And I was hooked. From that moment on, I've definitely used lots of of analogies to sports. Sports and teams build the same way. You want to get, you want to improve throughout the season in order to get, you know, get competitive towards the end of the season. You want to keep improving. We talked about one percent improvement every day. You want to get one percent better every single day, right? It's very similar to sports, but the big difference is you have a basketball game or a football game or a soccer game. You miss a shot, you miss a goal, you miss a pass, you make a mistake. You have a chance to do it again. You have four quarters or two halves or whatever it may be to redeem that mistake you made. And that's the bad Battle, that's the longevity and mental battle in an, an athletic contest. When you're in marching band, that step, that movement, that note comes by once and that's it. And then the show ends and you get to perform it again another time, but not in front of those judges, not in that moment. And not like it just is so much more high stakes added into the physical component about it, which is what I really loved about it. And then as it became an educator and putting together shows, what I liked about it shifted because especially working with my best friend, some of the most fun moments that I remember, you know, yeah, I remember winning. Yeah, I remember these great shows. We have YouTube videos and DVDs of them to remember and funny moments when things happen. But what I really remember is those goosebump moments when we created the ideas and when they flowed out of us and argued about it and just in the weeds about how we're going to design a show until boom, the big idea comes and we all just, we know it's the idea. There's just that goosebump infusing moments. And then even more so seeing it brought to life as a, as a student being part of that whole and getting all those life skills sets. I very much attribute any of my successes to the things I learned in marching band to as an educator, being able to use my creativeness in a way with a team of people I trusted to to create something special for students to also have that experience. 
So yeah, it's a tangible thing. Like all three of us have have done design, right? And and yeah. created cr- the creative work of making a show and coming up with that idea that is like, okay, for the next six months of our lives, this is the plan, yeah. and we got to make it work, and we've got to make it work with this ragtag bunch of teenagers that are coming from all different stress points and lives and and, and neighborhoods and opportunities. There's a true sense of pride that you can take on that end by one, the skills and the hard work that you put these kids through when it actually pays off. And then just that idea of like, Hey, this was my idea and people are clapping for it and kids are excited about it. And they're making memories that are going to last them forever. And Hey, we did that for these kids. Yeah. hundred percent. Let's talk about that. We've gone into the realm of performance and the performing the actual show. What's the favorite show you've performed? Adam, you can go first on this one. What What's the favorite I, show you've performed? Am I allowed to like enter multiple things here? Put, put, there's no, there's right. no rules. Hi, there's hysteria. No rules hysteria has to be. Here's why I loved Hysteria. We didn't know how good we were. Ah. Like at no <laughs> okay. point during that season, like, did we have any idea what we were doing was good? We knew we were clean because Paul didn't yell at us all the time, right? Like, <laughs> we knew we were clean because, like, we did grid every rehearsal for 40 minutes. So, like, until we went to that first comp, which I don't think we got first. I think we got second behind Sultana High School. I will never forget. I mean, I'm Ooh, telling you, damn. snapshots in the, the head. And we just, and we did, we started beefing that show out because we only did three quarters of it yeah. uh, or something yeah. like that at that first comp. I was, it was just like, everyone was just yes anding, but like the winter drumline version, we just did whatever we were told for the most part. And then all of a sudden we're like winning stuff. Like it was a really weird sensation. Let's, let's back up on that hysteria show. Do you remember what the tunes were? Like give, give, give us a, Uh, I want to hold your hand by the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had new kids on the block. I, I, we had JT. We had the right stuff, right? Was the right stuff. There you go. That's what it was. I couldn't think of the title. You're right. Uh, we had JT. You're Um, missing one from earlier. I'm missing one from earlier. I mean, I can, I could play the opener for you on this. Cause it went went 60, 70s 80s 90s right yeah beatles i thought oh that's right no we went into some oh oh it was the ballad what is it i said i want to hold your hand i got oh did you yeah that was the beatles okay all right all right hold your hand uh the right stuff jt i can't think of the name of the song though you're missing the 70s one right Sunny and share no. was it sunny and share no 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 so there there was there's there's a there you go that's what i couldn't think of as the ballad i could sing in yeah. my head that's right and then we did the uh the techno remix at the end of all of them matched together and we also man, I- had the jackson five in there do you remember that oh there was a li- there was a there was a little uh easter egg boom boom ba-ba-dum, boom yeah boom, boom, oh like a transition or something uh-huh. that we did right uh-huh. yeah. we had an easter that egg. was that was the beginning of the ballad yeah that was right yeah. at the beginning of the did Yep, it went right into the belly. And I remember, I remember we were just like, got so into that show. We came up with all these super fun visuals. Like the snare, we wore flame, blue and black and white. We had a costume change for every day. Yeah, (laughs) we we did. We, I remember snares came up. We threw down the snare solo. It wasn't really that hard, but we played it really clean. And then we gave the judges the call me visual at the end of it. <laughs> and I remember we only did that like the last two shows. And Paul thought it was like the funniest thing ever. He loved it. Like, so we'd be like, call me. And then we and then we go back backstage, like doing things like that, trying to I will tell you this. I remember the drumline failing horrendously at trying to do the Beatles head 
nod. Oh, that's right. You guys oh, couldn't my gosh, do it. It was so funny. Like, I can't do it to this day. It just, it doesn't work while marching in time. It doesn't, like, <laughs> right, we couldn't, right. we all looked like we had a tick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't even get the tick at the same time. So yeah, we're like, no, forget it, was, it, it, drop it, drop I it. I think, I think we ended up adding the sprinkler in at some yes, point you or did. something like that. <laughs> yes, you did. So that's well, why I loved history. I love that we didn't know like what we had at that time. Seven freshmen or something mm-hmm. like that. And yeah. that 10 person drumline is nuts. Yeah. Like, well, do you know the reason? Do you know the story behind that show, Adam? I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt your, your favorite I don't show think thing. so. Listen, I just, All right. I'm just a kid with some drumsticks and a dream. I don't know anything about any of these shows. So I'm going to interrupt your list real quick to say I also put Hysteria on my list as favorite show I've seen or taught or that I've wait were oh performed. Yeah, yeah. Um I it's in my list of fa- one of the favorite shows I taught and here's the reason why. I'm 20 years old and failing music history at USC because the music history classes are taught by music historians who wanted nothing more than to torture students and I don't mean that that's lightly. That's a fact. No, that's yeah. a fact. I they, I they took joy in making fun of those of us that didn't not yes do anything like did nothing else but understand expositions and 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 of classical music and the tests would be yeah yeah. if you weren't super into isometric motets Uh get all up in your business if you couldn't listen to 20 seconds and know like not just who it was by what what year it was what symphony it was a part of the reasons why it was written by the left hand or the right hand or the reason why they used quail ink instead of regular ink like you had to know stuff that was beyond need and it made frustrated me especially as a music educator it this is not helping me become a better teacher right so here i am getting d's and i've always been a smart ass i always have been this is just who i am so you know it's like 1998 give or take. And we have to write a chapter in a book for a music history text 50 years in the future, which is not too far from where we're at now, <laughs> which is scary. But so the smart Alec me says, well, I'm going to write about pop culture because if we're not talking about music and pop culture in 50 years from now, we're doing it wrong. So I write a chapter about how there's this 10 year reemergence of boy bands. You have the Beatles. And then about 10 years later in the sixties, you have like the monkeys and they create a, I'm sorry, you have the Jackson five or no, the monkeys and, and, and in the late sixties, then you get to seventies and you have like the Jackson five. And I did like little historical bits about, I mean, I wrote this like 20 page paper, like a chapter in a book. So they had bits about how they impacted pop culture and music and, 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 and Jackson five infused funk and, and all these African-American styles into the, the boy band idea. Then you get the 80s, you get New Kids on the Block. And at the time I was writing the story, 10 years after New Kids on the Block was popular, here's NSYNC. So I write this story. Of course, he gives me like a D on it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. He said, he, I think his only critique, I, I thought I wrote a really great paper. His only critique was that I... I, I think I think you're putting emphasis on pop culture too much in actual music history or something like that. Like, whatever. I wrote a great paper. Talking about this, we were putting together, it, I think Hysteria was the first drumline show that I worked with you, Rob, because I had, you were still working for San Marcos no, at the time. we did Kiss the year before. Did, did you were Kiss part of Kiss? Show. I okay, was not. Okay. You did, that was the year before. Right. I was there. Yeah, I think I think you helped with the visual stuff on Kiss because I was I had just kind of hired on the staff that was already at Rio Mesa. So I think I brought you on to do some of it. But this this was the the marching band show that fall. The Mambo show was the first show we worked on together. And this was the first drumline show where you were my head of design. And no, Paul came it on was and... definitely Kiss. We designed Did Paul that teach from... Kiss too. Yeah, we designed that from the huh. from the ground up. My I freshman remember... year marching band show was Miss Saigon. Yes. Yeah. That so, one. but the Mambo show would have been before you, Adam. Right. It was, that show. was the year before. 
So I have my years wrong. I, I, I stand corrected, but th- this was, this was one where we were trying to figure out a thing. And I don't remember, Rob, how much of this paper I told you about, but just this idea of boy bands every decade. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what started putting together this show based off of the paper I got a D on a music history at USC awesome. and called hysteria because boy bands cause mass hysteria. I think mm-hmm. it's a brilliant show and. I would think so, even if I didn't know the story behind it. It's That's a good call. I loved Billy Joel the next year. Like, Billy Joel was so cool because it was like, oh, we've got the slamming drumline. What if we designed the show, like, loosely, just let our drumline run roughshod over the, the show? And we were, like, rewarded Basically. for it. And it, that felt really cool. Like, yeah. freshly off of a gold medal, this drumline, all the same. Not one person graduated. Or quit. Yeah. And and so all of a sudden, we're going out and winning high per- sweepstakes percussion, like, at competitions and competing against juggernauts like thousand oaks high school and beating them in percussion and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and which oh my gosh can i just tell you like to be an instructor and go up against a school that like i've worked for before like as a marching tech because they were so big and so good that was the only place they had for me and then coming back designing a show and just beating the crap out of that huge band is really awesome (laughs) yeah oh man we definitely took a few risks for that show including costumes and sending uniforms following miss saigon as well i thank you for that the the uh the the t-shirt and the vest was much better in 100 degree heat than uh the snowman (laughs) you know the snowman rio mesa uniforms yeah that was a fun show we definitely definitely designed it around the drum line and i well i remember being at championships and they announced high percussion they announced before they do the top three or the top six or something like that so they do guard we got like i don't remember seventh i think or something like that band wise we got seventh Mm -hmm. there's a lot of really good seventh i don't quite but there's a lot of really good 2a bands playing like a lot of really hard music which doesn't make sense and then they're like going through the scores and they're okay now time for our high percussion award our high percussion with a score of (laughs) 93.9 rio mesa high school and my dad has a video of me with my high school girlfriend and like two of the drummers and we're like we're like freaking out like we're like what was the number he read and i've heard maybe you can corroborate the story for me that when you guys got the sheets paul was just looking at the drum score like the Uh score because this is what i've heard from danny pena and he just turns around that to danny (laughs) pena and he's like do you see the score oh yeah that score was unheard of for a 2a band at southern california championships like you don't see scores that high at least you didn't at the time second place was 71 yeah (laughs) Yeah. we we 20 pointed second place which is incredible like and uh, I guess the next year, uh, which I, I love the Four Horsemen show too. Like that was like the culmination of that drumline era, I think. Only 13 pointing second place just didn't feel the same. <laughs> <laughs> As, and it was like the happen. It's like Paul doesn't show a lot of emotion. Paul was the drumline instructor when I was yeah. there. You're your contemporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like a pretty like stone faced, very serious guy. Uh, instructor, anyway. He is. Yeah, an he really is. Oh yeah, instructor. Well, to yes. me, to young, to young Adam, he was yeah. very serious, yes. very serious, yes. all business all the time with Paul. Yes. If, yeah. And uh, like, I just remember him being like, kind of like wild, like giddy, like super happy about that. And then uh, I remember him getting emotional after the Four Horsemen show or no, as we were going on the field, because that was his last time uh, teaching yeah, with us. That was, yeah. he was, he knew he was going on. So we're like yeah. getting ready to walk on the field. We're like, why is Paul crying? Like, what's <laughs> going on? <laughs> and then we went and threw down for Paul at that show. So the that the Billy <laughs> Joel awesome. show being good and like being rewarded for being good was super super cool. And that was a fun show. 
Well, I'll I'll say the the favorite show I ever performed. It's historical. It's kids are performing it now today in the same manner that I did, and that's the pregame show at USC. It is was designed somewhere in the seventies, and it changes a little bit, but the structure of it does not. That pregame show ends with a, a halftime march and traveler streaming across the field. That was always fun times when they re traveler being the horse. They bring the pro rider and the horse to band camp. So the horse gets used to the loud sounds and they practice that. And you'll see, like, you'll see him wigging out a little bit and the trainers are there to help him through it. And it's so much preparation for that pregame. It is the same. So thing. much animal abuse in preparation for this pregame. No abuse, no abuse. It's just loud noises. They're just startled. I still get teary eyed when I see, you know, the Trojans spell out and they're marching halftime just down the field towards the audience. And here comes Traveler streaming through. The opening, the fanfare at the beginning is the same. It's the entire band across the back sideline and the drum major comes in and stabs the field with the sword. And there's just a lot of fanfare to it. I remember another very vivid memory is my first home game. Again, I knew I wanted to be in the USC band, but I didn't know what it meant to be in front of 80,000 people in the LA Coliseum. And here I am, and and it's just cardinal and gold everywhere, and we start fanfare and just tears start streaming down my face. I'm like, I gotta focus, I gotta focus, I gotta start moving soon. <laughs> Pre-game at USC is something special, and it, it's one of those things that I can't believe that I got to do. So I put that as the favorite show I've performed. What awesome. about you, Rob? Yeah, which what year was Tower of Power that we performed? Was that your senior year? That was my senior year. Your yeah, senior that was kind year. of the that was the show that put our school on the map in terms of marching band. Yeah, that show was absolutely incredible. When you talk about how Adam mentioned, like we designed the show around the strengths of the mm-hmm. band, right? The strength mm-hmm. that for that show that Billy Joel shoulder he mentioned, like we knew our drumline was the best thing we had going. So it's like when we design this show musically, there's going to be awesome drum breaks and everything. The drum solo is going to be our most impactful piece. Yeah. Those things, that Tower of Power show, it was the brass. Like that, those band directors and those designers knew like the strength of the of of this band is the brass and those trumpets, yeah. and then followed by the drumline, and then followed by this just very interesting individual that we went to school with. His name was Parson. And he was an Olympic water polo goalie, but also a kick-ass saxophone player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so there is definitely a part where that show just breaks down completely. And this dude rips like a perfect sax solo yeah. in the middle of the thing, plus a bunch of trumpet solos and just incredible brass work that I remember working and working and working to get tight and to sound just loud and marching, you know, drum core-ish like it was supposed to. That show was a vibe. It, it was so hype. Like when we would do it, it was just exciting. The music was exciting and we played it well. It was one of the ones that was like, it wasn't artsy fartsy, right? So right. when we were at a football game, the crowd would cheer and like people would be into it, you know, and scream and yell at the soloists and like those kinds of things instead of like some of the other shows that we did, which were like, eh, kind of quiet and like, oh, this plays well for the music judges. Right, right, but it's right. not really a crowd pleaser kind of thing right where this one was and as a 16 year old kid this was my like first introduction this is where i fell in love with like funk music like with those 70s sure uh bands you know i mean i listened to tower of power and earth wind and fire etc 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 down the list and have playlists that i'm just jamming out to from like you know baby huey and the babysitters like all of this stuff that's <laughs> always going you know through uh through my iphone and it all started there that's where I fell in love with that kind of music and just being super into it. That's my I mean, favorite that, show is we did a Tower Power show. I ranked that show with Hysteria. It was just 
ego and edge and in your face. I will I will say it wasn't just the high brass. We had an oddly strong low brass. I think we had four marching tubas and Cody Westheimer on tuba baritone. Yeah, <laughs> like... marching baritones and a strong trombone section. Like that brass, high and low brass was legit that year, and they just cashed in on that one hundred percent. Even altered some of Tower of Power's writings so that it would be stronger for the brass and ending i remember the ballad ending with a a little that was added in from another tower of power song just to push on that high brass even more there was nothing fancy about it it just it was just in your face i never was harder and never had more fun playing trumpet than being like the fourth of that like four man first trumpet line (laughs) that year oh my gosh yeah those good times and i have a cassette tape of a live recording of it granted it's on cassette so i can't tell you the last time i've listened to it but at some point i pulled it out and listened to it when i was teaching and even then that sound was like crisp and clean and it was at a friday night football game to be that crisp and clean like it was that show was something yeah yeah i think it's actually i think it's on youtube someone put it Uh, on youtube that same audio recording yeah it's it's just got five like yeah (laughs) who had that recording and what was it made on one of those giant ones with like the VHS tape, like chunked into the side of it. I have no idea where I got that audio recording had, from. Like, to be honest with you. Yeah, someone's like standing there like this. I mean, for the but the sound quality of it is just phenomenal and holds awesome. up, you know, thirty years awesome. later. So good stuff. So we talked about performances. Now all three of us got into the realm of being educators in the field. What about the favorite show you've seen or taught? I talked about the Hysteria show already. That was really special to me in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons. Adam mentioned the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse show. What I really liked about that is I think other than the Isis and Osiris show, it was just so strongly designed. I thought that was a really well-designed show. Um, I think it was a little bit above. We did not hit our marks in terms of the strengths of that group. We went with the design heavy. That was a really fun show to help design and really edgy. And we just went for it in terms of theme. And then I'm just going to very briefly say I worked for a little teeny band when I was in Ohio, Central Catholic High School, and they just did a new little mini show. They were really small. I mean, I'm talking like 18 kids. They were really, really small. So they would they would have their little flip folders and just play different songs every home game. And, you know, they'd march plays and play. They'd park and bark a lot all over mm-hmm. the place. But they did a 90s show and they played Belle Biv DeVoe's Poison. <laughs> and I remember it Ooh. because... Ooh. They, they played the heck out of that song. First, dun, 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 dun. that's one of my favorite I mean, songs to meme. Right. Like, <laughs> never trust a big button to smile for sure. If you're not living that life, quit making that mistake. Um, Man makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> but they're playing it. And this kid, this trumpet kid, he was like six feet tall, just a lank, lanky a little black kid, skinny. And he had the like kid and play haircut was coming back at the time. And he starts doing this really, he crosses his feet in a jump. And then he starts like moving his hips and he crosses his feet. And I'm like, how do you know how to do that? What I'm talking about, like, that's, that's an awesome dance move. How did you, how did you know how to do that? He goes, Oh, I told my mom we were playing the song and they put in a, a, a VHS of her and my dad dancing when they were teens. And I went, Okay, I know. The tap starts playing somewhere in the background. Yeah. Uh, I never keep your youth. <laughs> yeah. <for laughs> I, but you know what? I, it was fun. And it was fun watching them have fun. We said, dance. Wa- go go to YouTube and watch 90s stuff and dance. And that's what he did. He went home and said, Mom, I want to learn a 90s dance. So, you know, marching band does not have to be in your face and competitive. And we win everywhere. All of that has its own level of fun. Sometimes you just have fun. You just 
you play something and you put on a show for people at halftime of a football game and it's equally as valid. I'm going to go, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to mention two. And the first one's going to be a drumline show. So then I'll, I'll mention a, a, a true marching band show as well on mine. But of course, it is the Osiris drum show. Oh, this yes. show was an absolute monument in real time for Rob's <laughs> hubris. Like I had earned at that school with you, Annalise, the amount of trust through that kiss show and that hysteria show that I could do whatever I wanted. And I made a Dungeons and Dragons game on really the did. freaking you really did. It was a dungeon. It had moving props and styles. It had monsters. It had all kind. It had fights with swords and stuff. Like it was, it was, it was Rob gone wild, imagination wise, like 100% creative control. And did it do very well? No. But is it my favorite? Yeah, it is absolutely my favorite. Hey, because- we were on, we were on par to win the gold medal that year. Year and we got duped we to got be, duped to be fair 100%. we we played i felt at least drumline a pit for sure too but like we played the snot out of that show like we man max and i played every day every day at lunch we'd play through that show i'd be like the- well can we can we make this harder yeah let's change it let's make it harder and not tell anyone <laughs> and and like it was i mean that was like probably the best i think the real mace drumline ever played was the, the, that technica- the technicality of that show was head and shoulders above hysteria, yeah. and they played the crap out of that championship day show. We got duped by the judges saying, you're fine with your musicality. You need to fix your timing so you don't get a penalty. So what did we do that last re- that last rehearsal before championships? Is we timed it. We ran in, it like it, a NASCAR pit crew. I yes. will never forget I remember that. the stopwatch and everything, like yes. in and out. And in we and had out. parents there, like sweating their their yeah. brains out, like <laughs> helping us get stuff on and off the court. We focused on that instead of the technicality because they told us we were fine, and then they docked us on the technicality at championships. They duped us. There pit was also just... had a rough run uh, at championships. I remember that it wasn't as good. You're right. You're right. Uh, but I You're do right. remember doing laps around the gym to like run it because. We came in one side, we came inside one, and then yep. we ran through the Rio Mesa gym out the outside door, and then we just walked it back around through the basketball yep. court. And did to it, do again. it again. Yeah. Oh, it was yep. good times. I mean, but that it, was a good show. It, it was just, it was too complicated. There was too much going on. It was a five act structure of a hero's <laughs> journey that ended with a boss fight. It was like, it was, it was so big. It was so much going on. Too many we moving had, pieces. We had 10 foot high stilts. We, the we had boss a 12 fight. foot, we had a 12 foot Osiris come out at the end for the boss With a fight. skull mask and a giant uh-huh. cloak on stilts, like doing the whole thing. And we had a could warrior. Have been eight foot. Could have well, been eight we, feet we tall could only buy one 12. set of stilts because we weren't professionals. We oh, got I thought they foot. changed. I thought they changed size. We did not buy That's, anything that fancy. Oh man. We bought simple stilts at a six foot stilts on a six foot kid. Yeah. They were, they were drywall stilts mm-hmm. <laughs> and that poor kid had mm-hmm. to try to. Learned how to use them. Oh, yeah, he did great. He only fell once. <laughs> I remember Ooh. he only mildly concussed himself one time. He also, uh, Dave, oh, the concuss uh, wasn't from the fall. The concuss was, was from getting it hit in the both. head. I'm talking, uh, no, I remember David <laughs> getting hit in the head like hard. Yes. Yeah, he got a little <laughs> cut from the there, pole. Oh, in a fight scene? In yeah, the fight scene. The when, opener. He, when, when Osiris <laughs> gets murdered in Act One. This is what I'm talking about. There was no show. This is this is the show. Is it, 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 there's no better metaphor for who Rob is as a designer and creative than that drum show. You remember we had to cut out a whole act because it was too long. We had to cut out the act where um, ISIS is dancing around and gathering the 
different parts of the the skeleton and bringing it to the center of the way to cut out a whole. Yeah, like, that's right. It was the ninety was, second fourth act or something. <laughs> and it went all to to every different continent around the world. We oh we that, kept that I part. That part oh. I remember doing. But at okay. one point, oh, well, I don't know we about were this. we were going to the strength of the dancer. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna blank on her name. Uh, Vicky Pierce. Vicky, thank you. Vicky was like a formal dancer or gymnast or something. So we were banking on her skills and she had this whole like ballet almost with just the pit and the drumline was gone in which she was bringing all the different pieces of the skeleton to the middle of the floor and putting them together before like doing her spell. It was a whole dance. She and and, and our Maria was our movement coach. And so they came up with this whole ballet for her and it was beautiful. You wouldn't have remembered it, Adam, because we would have practiced it without the drumline there because you guys would have been with Paul yeah, or whatever forever because... It was just pit and it was, it was gorgeous. I mean, we had to cut it for time. Yeah. There is nothing like the sound of a teenager going over on six foot stilts and slapping onto, and and his skull slapping onto the gym floor. It's haunting. We, we, thank you, (laughs) David. (laughs) Oh, man. But that show was great. Also, shout out to the rack, the electronic drum pad (laughs) rack that sometimes it didn't work at every comp until the Mm -hmm. last two, I think. We got all the pads working. Even that was pretty clean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When it worked, it came through. (laughs) Oh, no. I just just remember us fighting the little drum module. I remember we had to have Lazelle come out and tweak the drum module, like at least once. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember, oh, yeah. like, and it had, like, exposed wires, mm-hmm. had exposed wires hanging out of it, and, like, oh, good It was time. just hooked up to a car battery that was, yes, like, sitting that's, on the side oh, of a right. box spray-painted black. That thing was so, I remember having to do that, the when they spun it, I remember having to do the drill move where somehow the short kid ended up on the outside. You had the long run, yep. Ah, it was crazy. It was, it felt really good, but. Yep, and I remember the time that the battery came unclipped and like, as it was spinning, the battery, like the centrifugal force, the battery swung out and was hanging by the wires and like whipped somebody in the ankle. (laughs) (laughs) Good times. Good times. What about what you have? But that's the drumline show. I want to, I do want to go back to that Billy Joel show because I was very proud of us for that one as well. That was one where Annalise and I sat down and we looked at what had gone the year before. We looked at what was it? What could we do with what we had? And we were looking at the uniforms, which I don't know if you know, Annalise, how old those uniforms were. They were pretty old at that time, but they were very out of date. They sort of had, if I remember correctly, they kind of had like a Spanish conquistador. Yes. kind of style yeah. to them like a yeah. spanish conquistador snowman yeah kind of, kind of and so that kind of limited the themes that you could do with it and so you know you were still fairly new and we were getting together as a creative team and thought like what would we do if we could just wipe the slate clean and start over and just build from scratch yeah. On a very tight budget. So a lot of that came from, well, we can't buy new uniforms. So let's just do regular clothes, but make it so that it's a theme. We'll buy yeah. costume shop hard hats and like orange vests. And they were like, well, for the props, we'll do just a bunch of like, you know, orange cones and street signs and caution tape and stuff. And if worse comes to worse, we'll just go out at night and steal that stuff from the side of the freeway. Like that was the level of design yeah. we were budget. at at that yeah. point. And it worked out. 
I, I, I think it worked out wonderfully, right? When we came, it looked different than anyone else in those shows yeah. at the time. Everybody else was coming out in their big wool costumes and their shakos and their and their plumes, and we came out as construction a construction crew in white t-shirts and jeans and, and fluorescent vests and hard hats, setting up road signs and putting together, uh, you know, putting out cones and then playing a fun rock show, right? Of music that everybody, that was familiar to everybody. So that was a fun one, but that one I'm most, I have fond memories because that was the beginning of you and I being a creative team of like, we're yeah. going to solve problems. We're going to design a show to our strengths and we're not yeah. going to let anything get in our way as far as like, well, everybody does it this way and we've always done it this way and it's supposed to be like this. We just wiped it all off the table and did what we wanted to do and, I, and it was successful. And you were right. I think that you, now that you're have toggled my memory a little bit. This kiss show was the start of that, right? Okay. These mm-hmm. kids are willing to put face paint on and they're willing to go a little bit out there and they're having fun doing it. Well, we got to the Billy Joel show. So, well, for listeners, so you understand the connection there, we played some of Billy Joel's hits that center around the idea of, uh, well, I think like Uptown Girl. Collar, the working man. Working man. It, yeah. Uptown Girl was the catalyst of that, was right? The because the music video of Uptown Girl, he's in a auto garage and wearing an auto garage shirt. So we came up with the blue collar theme. And what's more blue collar than construction workers? Mm-hmm. And that's how we we pit, we fit that theme. But for the record, we didn't have to steal any roadblocks. One of the parents hooked us up with Caltrans. And that's they right. lent us actual blinking yellow lights and the whatever the I call them horses. I don't think they're called horses. Oh, the, like the sawhorse. The sawhorse. There we signs, go. Yeah. The actual like roadblocks. And what I thought was really brilliant about that show, you're right, Rob. That was the start of us really saying, what do we have and how can we make this successful? Because we created those props and those things to kind of frame in the fact that we were a smaller band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In that we mm-hmm. were in the two way division, but we were the low end of the two way division where like at the time two way went from like 61 to I think 91 was... or something like that. It was like the, the real yeah. big bands in two A were, you know, 20, 30 people bigger than us. So we framed it in with your design, which was brilliant because it made us look like a big band and it made us look successful. And I will also say Maria designed beautiful color guard uniforms mm. that year. I think they were my favorite of all the shows. Um, they were just a black skin tight with orange reflected, reflective, oh, yeah. like stripe mm-hmm. horizontal, not horizontal, like diagonal. It looked like we like just wrapped them in tape, like candy striped yeah. them in tape, but it was actually built into the costume. The every, just every little piece of that was so well thought out that, that really built the future for what we were doing. Fun fact about that show, the program I currently work at is a competition that we would have gone to that year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. The band director who I work for, her mom still talks about the Billy Joel show. Oh, really? As one really? of the favorites that she's seen. Cause she sits, she, cause it's her daughter's comp and her daughter's yeah. school. Like they would go and she's gone to like every one of these competitions, like wow. for the last, like, I don't know, 30 something years, like yeah. a long time. So she remembers the construction Billy Joel That's show. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So, the, and I remember, I remember one of the things that uh, my boss, she mentions the fact that we framed the field because we were yes. small and it made us look bigger because we, yeah. we've like done stuff like that. That was all Billy Joel. Yeah. Something, yeah. something Rob's hubris. <laughs> no, no, it's no. still Osiris. That was that was building. That was me building trust <laughs> until we just let it let me fly and fall right you off. Yeah, I'm a cliff. peacock. You got to let me fly. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then let's I, go to I, I don't know. Yeah. 
My favorite show that I've taught is Royals 80 show. The 80 show we did, Danny Pena, who keeps coming up, we we had started talking about the show at championships the previous year. Mm. We were, we've had this idea bouncing around to do a show because like right now, I know we're going to talk about this probably in a little bit, is like super high concept inside baseball shows are very like, everyone's doing them. Like everyone's super competitive. There's gonna be a handful of those type of shows and the show we had just finished doing was one of those so we were like dude what if we just came out and played like a bunch of really cool 80s music and made it thematic so our our show started off with the keyboard intro of uh, where the streets have no name by u2 Mm -hmm. like underneath a reagan quote from like after he had been elected like it or not he was the president of the 1980s so like we that was how we set the tone jumped into major tom and we had electronic mallet cat for one of our marimba players to play so to get all the nice synth sounds like and he was playing that live we played uh we and our backdrops were all iconic scenes from the 80s so we had like the berlin wall falling the challenger disaster we had a picture of uh, uh mcauliffe mcauliffe her photo with the astronauts mm-hmm, we had mm-hmm. um the princess diana like we had all these like screen printed moments from the 80s and then like i remember we were talking about design earlier like when you figure out like the thing i remember the one piece of this show i saw before we finished it, it was like we have to do we're not gonna take it and it has to be the whole band yelling it as loud as they can preferably <laughs> in tune and while like the drum line slams something out like and nice. then we're gonna play trash cans and we had like the tops of the trash cans were like cymbal players. I got like, they were playing cymbals and man, that's when we like flip all the backdrops around from the screen printed. It's like the more positive side of the eighties. And that was one of the coolest moments. Like everyone, every time we performed that show, at a comp or a football game, everyone saying we're not gonna take it. Like, cause everyone knows it. the words to that. It's yes. seven words. And so you'd hear like the stadium, like, reverberating with people singing we're not gonna rob didn't you you saw that show once i think i I did i was gonna comment that you're absolutely right like there were a lot of shows i i I came to a show and we watched the whole division or two divisions and you were right like 90 percent of those shows were kind of up their own butts artsy fartsy shows and yours was the fun one where everybody was just like hungering for like yeah i can tap my feet and nod my head and sing along to this show you know it was the it was the only one of its kind yeah i mean we didn't win we didn't win or anything, but we, I remember it was like the crowd favorite show. Yep. Yeah. We got to do it at championships. Like the other bands that were like waiting to go to awards were all singing along to We're Not Gonna Take It on the side mm-hmm. one, like lineup for awards for full retreat. And like that was just a really cool moment to see that like show kind of come to fruition with this was right before COVID. So that was the oh, biggest sure. the band was. Like we had alternates because we didn't want to be in 4A. So we had like (laughs) freshman alternates basically for certain spots in the band and just being like full sounding 3A. Everyone's slamming out double forte. We're not going to take it. Ending with I'm I'm still standing by Elton John. Oh, very. That's a cool closer. Yeah. I mean, it was that was a really, really cool show. Like I loved every part. Every part of that show was fun. Like from the beginning of the season to the end, like we were never like all the problems that always come up with during a marching band season. They were always less. They always seemed less important because we get to sing. We're not going to take it. And we have this cool mallet cat that makes fun, uh, fun mallet. Sound. Oh, and we ended with the guitar solo over. That's right. Our drum major played guitar over the. <laughs> uh, That's cool. So that, that was super. It was like all in on the GE train was, was mm-hmm. that show. Mm-hmm. Like nice. we weren't the cleanest one that year, but like that was so fun to do. I, I loved every, every single part of that show. 
right, my friends, that takes us to the end of our marching band conversation. But we are not done with the show yet because every episode we do our favorite segment. What's the nerdiest thing you did this week? And we will start with our guest, Adam. I did a marching band competition this week. I played D&D, printed some stuff on the 3D printer, and somehow none of that is the nerdiest thing I did this week. Oh, boy. This week and for the last few weeks, we have been, I've been running a fantasy football team. And I'm telling you, two fantasy football, two teams. fantasy football teams. Uh, I have been referred to, I'm the director of personnel for these two teams. We have a, so I'll tell you, it's Rob's fantasy football team. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> and we have a standing meeting on Tuesday evenings before mm-hmm. After the, the games. Before the waiver wire acquisitions go through, where we sit here, we talk about moves that we can make. We look at whose players get dropped. I, I check match, I check defense matchups. And I mean, to say that I've gotten into the weeds would be a gross understatement. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I spend, I would say 70% of my time that I'm not actively working looking up which players, which players had good weeks, which, what's an average, uh, what average reception is Marquise Brown getting through week four? Like, oh, he's wow. getting 11 targets game this looks good for maria let's pick him up (laughs) like maria don't drop don't make this trade with cooper cup because he's coming back week five and aren't we glad we did that we got banged this like we're getting banged right by right now (laughs) by the uh we're getting absolutely raked over the coals i have not looked at the scores since we started this podcast but the new orleans defense was banging us last time i last time i looked so we'll see like right now we're kind of on a tear and that's just like devoting all my energy towards this Player acquisitions, trades. Uh, it's yeah, been you're, fun. You're going to be mad when you see the Joe Burrow numbers this week, too. Don't like the sound of that. That's <laughs> tough. That's real tough. <laughs> but but Adam is 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 downplaying the nerdiness of this. Like, if any of you know, like, have played like Dungeons and Dragons, and you play like online with your friends, and you go onto your Zoom meeting or your Discord, and like you change your name to your character name and stuff like that, we've turned this fantasy football league into another role playing game where he comes on as the director of person or the uh, yes. I'll come in as like director of player, player development. development. And stuff like that. And we basically have this other role playing game that we play. We take interviews from each other and answer yeah. questions. <laughs> we had a really great, we had a real gritty win last week. I mean, we won by seven points and I'm telling you the seven points came from at 9.58. So anyone who doesn't know football, the game started at 10 a.m. on Sunday at 9.58. I said, Rob, the Baltimore, you said the Baltimore defense is available. Pick them up right now and start them. Like oh, don't, wow. don't start Buffalo, start Baltimore's defense. 10 point swing right there that was a 10 point swing that won us our matchup because nobody had baltimore defense and we i mean 958 geeking out about it all week i was at a gig and i took a break from the gig to make that phone call (laughs) i I was like sorry guys i gotta step out for a second and i called up i was texting i was like pick up baltimore's defense right now if you haven't done it yet pick them up and start them start them over the buffalo bills i mean we might have to start discording your your meetings on nerd best friends for patreon It'd be pretty fun. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, we, we take it very seriously. We take, uh, yeah, media interviews. We talk about how our boys, first one's in, last one's out, real, uh, real grind mentality. Yeah. Really, uh, really, and then the, and then the text chat with the three of us is, um, just out of control all week. (laughs) The most ridiculous and vulgar (laughs) conversation. I don't want to say I won us the game last week, but uh, I feel like the amount of beer that I consumed led to Travis Kelsey only getting six receptions. So Directly I'm just saying you can't yeah. scientifically disprove Thank you, that. Taylor Swift. Uh-huh. Yeah, she throwing up her T-Swiz. <laughs> she did the Lord's work. Oh, <laughs> uh, Rob, what about you? What's the nerdiest thing you did this week? 
it may come across as in the podcast if you heard a loud beeping sound it was because my 3d printer just once again ran out of filament because it has been chugging away the last two weeks strong i just i i kind of got a hair i was i i'd done a few printing projects i did one big terrain project for uh, a game that i'm playing a DD game that i'm playing with adam i did another big project that i put together for um, a gift for someone like we were talking about earlier and i was like man the thing's not going what am i going to print and so I opened up some of my board games and, you know, there's a there's a community out there that'll make board game box organizers, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. little uh, compartments and boxes and things for keeping all your little chits and things organized. So I had a couple that were still sitting there in the in the stock box with in little plastic baggies. And we can't have that when there's uh, stuff out there. So shout out to a real one. Stink, Stinkfoot 71 on Thingiverse. This wow. guy... Stinkfoot seventy one. Stinkfoot seventy one, baby. This this wow. This dude, you name it, he's got a board game like complex system of small little organizers for your board game. So I'm on maybe the second one for this week with the third one all planned out and the files downloaded and everything and the things like chugging along. And now when I open up like my boxes, there's all these like perfect little organizational trays and stuff in there for the miniatures and all the stuff. And it's, it makes the box weigh like 20 pounds more than it, yeah. is, than it did before. <laughs> it's amazing. But let's 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 have a round of applause for Stinkfoot 71 and Taylor Swift this week. Uh really the MVPs. MVPs <laughs> of podcast. Yeah. They're doing they're doing the work. <laughs> it ain't much, but it's honest work. <laughs> what do you think? Um, well, I didn't do anything real nerdy this week. I was gone for most of the week at a conference. So that's just a lot of focusing. And then uh, I was actually a paid presenter at this one. So, and I also got to attend sessions. So really good. But I got to the end of the week and my flight, uh, I was end of the conference on Friday. My flight's not till the next day. What am I going to do around San Diego? It was like a heat wave out there. So I really didn't feel like walking anywhere. It was kind of just looking around and found out the hotel I was at has like this rooftop cinema and they play like like cult classics and, and, and. So I'm like, well, I've never done this before. Let me go buy a ticket. It was really cool. They set it up where they have like a lounge area and a bar and food and, 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 and then you go into the next area and they have those like really cool patio seats and they put cushions on them and get a little popcorn and they give you little headphones. So you don't have to hear the people being stupid. I really enjoyed it. And so they played dirty dancing. That's what was playing. That's fine. I don't think I've ever watched it on a big screen. I've seen the movie who knows how many times as it's been on TV and stuff, but you know, it was just something really nice to do. And I started thinking, man, this would be really cool. Like what, what amazing nerd movies would I want to sit on a rooftop with people and watch? Like how cool would this be? So I will, I will see myself finding more of these in the future because I thought it was a really cool experience, especially this is a company that set, set it up for the hotel. It wasn't the hotel running it. So they're called Rooftop Cinema Club. And I had a real good time watching a cult classic. That's cool. Star Wars Under the Stars. Be super Star cool. Wars would be amazing, right? Harry Potter would be amazing. Like I kept thinking of movies that would be really cool to watch mm. in this format. Well, open. It's not an open bar, but they had the bar. You could get up and go get drinks as you wanted. Could you imagine? As you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I can. <laughs> On to our next episode. So guess who's coming back? Uh, America's favorite teenager. America's favorite teen nerd, Andrew, will be back on our next episode for our annual segment, I've Seen This Before. We will fulfill Rob's wish of actually bringing Star Wars to the podcast as we compare Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope, with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. This is one of my favorite episodes we do every year.
Remember to subscribe, share, and give us that five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media platforms at NerdBestFriends or send a message by writing to podcast at NerdBestFriends.com. Don't forget, Patreon.com slash NerdBestFriends as well. Support our show and keep listening. Thank you, Adam. Adam has been great having you on the show. Oh my gosh, I had so much fun. Listen, man, if you ever talk about Lord of the Rings, put me in, coach. Oh, we're doing it. (laughs) Oh, it'll go. I've been pushing that for three years now. It's happening. You know, it's funny. You talked about the essay you wrote. I'm like, I could write, I feel like I haven't written an essay in a while. I bet I could write a very nice essay about the parallels of Theoden and Treebeard as they relate to each other from both the natural and man-made sides of Two Towers. Oh my God. Now this is is the content I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) You just made Rob the happiest person on the face of the earth. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Was the song Baby 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 Baby's Got Why can't I say that? Baby Got Back.